In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room. So uh, my invitation is that you allow my words to be your words in this moment. And if they don't fit, just let them wash over you. But what I affirm and know in this moment on behalf of myself and each person here, I recognize that the soul of my being at the core of my being as I open myself in this moment. And so I invite you as well as myself to take a deep breath and just relax into this moment. Feel how the chair is supporting you. And that chair is a metaphor for how we are supported unconditionally and absolutely each moment. That as Stephen Hawking said one time, the infinite universe is awaiting our next thought. And this is so true. Coming from a scientist, coming from a genius, the universe is awaiting our next thought. And so what I know in this moment is that my next thought I instruct this infinite divine intelligence within myself and within you to guide and inform and instruct me into the highest possibility, the highest idea. This, this sense of goodness, creativity, value-added participation in the world, whatever that looks like for you and I, I invite you as well as myself to make myself available to that conversation. That I take that in, I look at it and I examine it, and I find a way for that to be an outlet in my life, in my experience. This is how infinite presence, this is how unconditional love, this is how beauty and joy find expression upon this planet by means of you and I. And as we amplify our vibrational tone of being, the conversation shifts. Dr. Holmes said in this beautiful chapter in the Science of Mind textbook, let our conversations be in heaven. This day let our thoughts be in heaven. In that place where there is no opposite to goodness, where there's an infinite possibility, where there is a peace that passeth all understanding. If you are troubled in this moment, what we affirm and know for you as our brothers and sisters in consciousness is perfect peace that needs no explanation. Just allowing that and knowing that to be your experience. If you are struggling with resources in this moment, we know for you abundance pressed down and overflowing in ways that are expected and beautifully unexpected to live a life of awe and possibility and opportunity to say yes to the divine goodness that is seeking a place to land and be expressed and to be used. For this, I just give thanks for this beautiful day, for the words and the ideas, for the music, for the notes, for the beautiful musicians, all of our volunteers, for people in service to our children, to our beautiful teens, for our beautiful teen, for our our young adult that stood up today as our presider. There is our future. And so I stand with you in love and appreciation and gratitude for all that has brought us together, for this opportunity to choose in a new way things that no longer work for us, and to know that as we do that, the infinite 
presence has something more interesting and juicy to work with. So I say yes to that, and I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Okay, so all we had time for was the prayer, so we can head home now. I wanted to share with you today, I promised last week that I would speak a little bit about John of God. And uh, I've gone there three times now, so, and I needed a little bit of time coming back. But I wanted to tie it into our, our tradition and our, um, what we teach and the, what the foundational pieces of why this unique and beautiful uh, philosophy and, and way of living, this way of life, uh, exists and what it comes from. So the first slide up there, uh, of course, is... Um, it's How It Works, which is the title of the, the fourth chapter in the Science of Mind textbook. And it's just nature. I mean, nature for me is always a great representative and example of, of life and possibility. The next slide is, is it, it says it's always working. And once again, another beautiful picture of, of uh, nature and water cascading down into the beautiful river. Ernest Holmes said that we are likely to indulge in too much theory and too little practice. In other words, it's easy to think about it and to get, get an idea in our heads, but then it's, it's our opportunity or our, 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 um, our responsibility to move that forward into the world of form. But it's real easy to, to think because we thought about something enough, we're actually doing it. I do that many times now when, I, when I'm loading the vehicle to go somewhere and, and I know that I've already thought that I need to pack this and this and this. And so because I've thought of it, I know I've already put it in the car. And then I'll get to the destination and realize, oh my gosh, I thought about it, but I didn't actually do it. And I said, what, a, what an example of how, how my spiritual practice can go off the rails sometimes. So Holmes said that that which we cannot, cannot prove may or may not be true. But that which we can prove certainly must be and is the truth. So the reason he called it the science of mind is he felt that, that our connection with spirit, our mentality, and our ability to, to improve Press upon the infinite law. He called it the law. He said the love and the law. The love makes the world go round and the law keeps us from getting dizzy. Okay? And so, and I like that. That comes from Dr. Kennedy Schultz. But, but it's not just about the love. It's also about the law because everything we think, everything that we, we entertain and the more we entertain it consistently impresses upon this infinite quality of the, of the infinite, this aspect which Holmes called the law because all it can do is say Yes. So in other words, if I have a limiting belief that I don't deserve for some reason at a deep subconscious level, the law keeps getting that and the law keeps saying, you get it. We're going to continue to support you in feeling like you don't deserve because that's all we can do because that's all you're giving me. And so it's fascinating how we can stay stuck in these limiting ideas and think, well, you know, that's not for me. Success isn't for me. I've never been successful. I come from a whole long list of in the line of, of failures. My whole family is failures and I'm carrying on the legacy. And the law says, you got it. Or we can stop where we are and, 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 and come up with a new idea that is in complete opposition to perhaps what our, the generations behind us gave us. But in fact, it's our opportunity. We are never stuck. We are never obligated by the past or by past generations to continue to fulfill a limiting experience. And yet so many of us fall into that, that cycle. He said that it, it, it apparent, its apparent intangibility is lessened. He's talking about spirituality. He's talking about the mystical. Its apparent, in, apparent intangibility is lessened whenever and wherever anyone actually demonstrates the supremacy of spiritual thought force over material resistance. So in other words, as we do enough of our own work in our consciousness to shift and change conditions, it becomes a demonstration. 
Now, the challenge that we have in the West, and this comes from Dr. Roger Teal, who I took my first trip down to John of God with, and he wrote a beautiful article expanding upon the correlation between that mystical experience and our teaching. But he said this from Dr. Teal. He said, most Westerners are deeply immersed in a mechanistic, materialistic worldview. That reality is materially based, linear, and three-dimensional, quantifiable, and rationally explained. So if you go by that definition, anytime a mystery shows up or something we don't understand, it, it's, it's crazy. It's woo-woo. And I'm getting woo-woo t-shirts and hats made up, by the way, so we can all... <laughs> but, but if it's... But if you, we want them. They're $100 a piece, now that I know I got one sold. But anyway, <laughs> it's going into our building fund. But, but the point being is that... So it's very easy to um, look out in the world and see that if we can't measure it, it doesn't exist this whole idea around spirituality and the mystical. So I wanted to just give you a little bit of our history, where we come from in terms of, of uh, this tradition and why I think it is such an extraordinarily uh, wonderful fit. Next slide is a picture of Phineas Parkhurst Quimby. Quimby was a New England clockmaker, and he found through his own uh, study of health, he, was, he had health challenges. And the reason, that he wanted, so he, the reason he looked at it so closely was because he was struggling so much with his own physical health. And through a process of, of elimination and examination, he found that he could align himself with certain principles in his own thinking, his habitual thinking, that created different results physically for himself. And so he, he healed his own, his, his own physical form through this practice. And I think that he was a clockmaker probably helped him because he was very systematic he was very consistent, and he realized there were certain principles that if he continued to, to develop certain practices that he continued to practice, that things would shift and change. And so Quimby was a, a tremendous force of, of one of our foundational fathers of this that influenced Dr. Holmes and many of the traditions that came after him. And Quimby, one of the amazing things about Quimby is he rarely left home. So people would write him letters at the time and ask for help, mostly around physical problems because at the time that Quimby was alive, you know, we didn't have the medical research and the technology and things that, that are going on today. So there were a lot of things that were happening where people didn't have a, a recourse. But anyway, Quimby would do prayer work and many people had uh, tremendous shifts in their physicality. One of the people that was influenced tremendously by him was Mary Baker Eddy. And she was the founder of Christian Science. And she went and she had a problem with her back and she went and Quimby did some prayer work with her, some healing work, which is the idea that if one person can know an idea about us and we're willing and open to that in faith and in connection with that idea and allow that person's consciousness to lift us up into a new awareness and possibility, and that's what Quimby would do as a practitioner, as a prayer practitioner. That's why we invite you at the end. If you're having difficulty in your life, these practitioners have been trained, please come and accept the gift of affirmative prayer, which is their, borrowing their consciousness until we catch up with it. And we know we catch up with it when all of a sudden the conditions in our life change. And so if you feel embarrassed because you've asked for one affirmative prayer over the last three years, I'm embarrassed for you because I'd be up here every week asking for prayer work if I was working on something. Why not? Why not? You know, why have a tool in the toolbox and not use it? You know, it's like the guy that buys the new chainsaw and he takes it back into the hardware store and says, I'm only able to cut one cord of wood with this thing and you told me I could cut 40. And he says, well, let me look at it. And the guy starts it up, and the, the customer says, what's that noise? <laughs> okay? If you have a tool, you need to use it in the correct way. That's all I'm saying. So Holmes said the law is infinite. 
It's right where we happen to be at any given time. And by conscious thinking, we give conscious direction to it. Consciously or unconsciously, it responds to our advance along the lines of our consciousness. And this is so boring, isn't it? There's nothing sexy or romantic about this consciousness stuff. But what he's saying is, is that the law, we're right in it. And, and, and whatever we're thinking into it, whether consciously or unconsciously, and most people use it unconsciously. So what you see are patterns over and over again that are ingrained and given to us in childhood or they're given to us by friends and family because they love us. And then we are carrying that out for the rest of our lives. And so our opportunity is to look at it and say, hmm, do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to keep having this experience over and over again? What's, there, what's alive in me? What am I, how am I nurturing this? And if it's a great thing, good, more of it. And if it's not, then it's our opportunity to use our consciousness and our awareness and our spiritual practice to dissolve it to make room for newness. So it's, a, it's a quite a mystical, powerful journey. And so Dr. Holmes comes along, influenced by Quimby and several other people, amazing. He, you have to understand something about this man. He was brilliant, 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 and he felt it was so important for us to understand this. He felt he was giving birth to an approach and a, and a, and a pathway into spirituality in a deeper way that would allow every person access to shift the conditions in their life through spiritual practice so that all of us can share the inherent gifts that we have. All of us have gifts. We're all gifted. There's no person on the planet that doesn't have a gift, a unique gift. And so what he was, his whole approach to it was, why continue to live in limitation? Why, did, why suffer? Why buy into this idea that we're all born in original sin? We're born in original ignorance. And so what he was doing was bringing an awareness and, an, and, and a new idea and a new possibility to it. He was honored by many of the finest institutions that were established, universities and different institutions. He was well-respected. He was a peer of so many people. I mean, he was not somebody that was on, he was not considered somebody on the fringe. He was at the heart and soul. He would fill auditoriums in Los Angeles. He would get, get up and talk about these very simple principles that we are always impressing upon this infinite intelligence the subjective nature of who we are. And so, and he also understood the uh, subjective mind and the, and the conscious mind. And so, but he, he, and he wrote volumes about this. You know, we have our science in my textbook our, and our, our teaching is based on that. He was, um, in 1911, he was born in 1887, he was born near Bangor, Maine. He was born in Lincoln, Maine, uh, just not far outside of Bangor. And um, in 1911, he went to the Leland Powers School of Orat Oratory uh, Delivery. He became a platform speaker, which, would, would really in, which really uh, uh, benefited him as he moved along because he spoke publicly so much. But at that time, it was really about reciting uh, things. So basically, he was an actor for a while. He learned how to communicate, which I always like about him. So I think this job's great. To, you should be an actor first before you have to do this because you're always acting anyway, but I'm just saying... But, but he had that training. And then he was influenced. He found, Mary, he found Quimby. He found Thomas Troward. He found a lot of people. And he developed this, uh, this uh, philosophy we have today. 1926, he wrote the, the textbook. And in 1938, it was revised because he had a lot of stuff in there that he didn't want to scare people. He didn't want it to say... He, he talked about things in the original textbook that he just felt like weren't necessary because he wanted to make this practical and accessible. And he didn't want to make it so strange and superstitious that people were like, ah, oh, this Holmes is a is a strange man. He understood the principles that we're talking about, and I think it's really benefited us over the years. So, next slide is a picture of the group that we just went down to John of God with, September of 2014. There were 15 of us from the center. I'm in the back there. You can start to see my head 
peeking through, and there's a number of people that joined us from the community. There were 15 of us that went all together. The three ladies sitting in the front, that's Heather coming, uh, Laura Gwen. Laura's in the very middle, and Monica Yvonne is on the, far, on the right, and they're on the grass in the front. They were our tour guides, and it's the third time I've gone down there with them. And They are extraordinary women, incredible women. So we went down to this John of God experience. First, the thir- third time for me. Each time I go, it's, it's richer and more wonderful. And I think that, so the next picture is someone that you may recognize. That is medium John. In Portuguese, it's medium João. That's how John is said in Portuguese, João. So that's medium John and Oprah. And Oprah's been there. It's interesting because Heather, at, at, between each session, Heather Cumming will sit down with us along with Laura and, and Monica. And there's questions because everybody's had different experiences at each session. But she was talking about Oprah when Oprah went down and she sat in the current. And the current is simply sitting in meditation. So anytime that John of God or Medium Schwa was in, is in current, there's probably 300 to 600 people in meditation. And just holding this collective meditation, which creates this bubble of unconditional love. So that, as he said, if you hold the current for me strong enough, then I can do these things. He needs the group to do it. Actually, the entities knew it. He's not doing anything. He just simply moves aside. And, and his consciousness moves out of his body. And, and this is where it gets a little bit uh, uh, interesting. An entity mo- works through him. And so the entities are a variety of different saints and, and, and doctors and, and uh, healthcare providers through the years. That, and they, they identify themselves and they come through. And they see you as a hologram. They see you as you go before him as a hologram. So they see your, your energy body. Past life, future life, future and uh, present life. So he's been doing this for 60 years. Oprah went down, she sat in current. Uh, she came down, and of course when Oprah shows up, all the, the TV trucks are there. The, it's a little village, and it's packed with all of the media stuff. And they said that the last time Oprah was there, she came out of current, and she got in her car to leave. And she realized if she didn't say anything, it wouldn't look good. So she told her driver, hang on a second, she got back out, and she looked at the cameras, and she said, I don't know what's going on here, but there's something really powerful and amazing happening here. And I don't, I can't, I can't describe it. And she got back in the car and left. But she realized if she didn't say something, it would suggest that she was disappointed or she, that, that that was conveying a message. And she didn't want that to happen. He has been uh, medium John, medium Shuao, uh, had his first experience of this when he was nine years old. He had an experience, and it's written about in Heather's book, and it's documented. You can probably find it online as well. By the time he was 16 years old, he was considered a full trance medium, which is that his consciousness would leave in another uh, entity would work through him. And so when you're there, you go before him. There's three days he's in session uh, each week, uh, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And I've had a lot of really amazing experiences there personally. A lot, and most of the last two times, I've just, I have sat in the current, not just. Because when you're sitting in the current, as they say, there are thousands of entities that are working on you at that, at that spiritual level. Uh, I took a man's picture down with me from Vancouver that was suffering from a very severe case of uh, stage four cancer, and uh, last I heard, all the cancer had gone into remission. Uh, and it doesn't happen for everybody, but I thought it was very interesting, that, that, and, but many of the stories that we hear about are just uh, remarkable. So I find it such a powerful renewal for me and a connection at that deep level of what we teach here, that there's a power for good in the universe. And so what their movement is based on a, on a, on a, on a uh, tradition called spiritism, and spiritism is that we, that we are immersed in, they call it the smoke of spirit. Now what I know about our, when we gather on a Sunday, we are in the smoke of spirit. We have recognized the one power and the one presence. We have used our conscious ability 
And all it takes is one or two people here to agree with that. Not everybody has to agree. But we shift and change. The vibrational frequency of what we experience changes. And it is part of the mystery. And claiming our life as the one helps heal that separation for us. So Holmes knew that. So this was his approach. This was his doorway in. In Spiritism, what they realize is that, we're, that, that our, they will say that our generations are right, right here, right behind us. And they say that if we don't ask for help, they can't help us. And the way their souls continue to evolve is through service. So these entities of light, these, this phalange of light workers, have gathered at this beautiful place and helped assist people in, 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 I don't know if it's necessarily a cure many times, is shifting and changing a healing at a deep level. But it's very powerful and it's very potent. So Holmes said this, he said, there is no process of healing, but there is generally a process in healing. And by this he means that what needs to be revealed is already, is already complete. So it's not about changing things so much as what needs to change, as he said, is the time and the effort which we undergo in our realization of truth. That's what takes time. So sometimes this man I'm talking about that had the instantaneous healing in his, his, with his cancer, something shifted within him because it had nothing, and as, as, as Medium John says, I don't heal. God does the healing. We say the same thing as practitioners here. We don't heal anyone. We don't have that power. But what we do is we help create some of the conditions so that some of the conditions that you're experiencing can shift and change. So we become a portal. We become a sort of a, a, a lamp of light that can illumine something. But without the shift and change, as Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. And it's the same idea there. Our part to play in that is, is our work to do. And that's always a challenge sometimes. Because when we think it's linear and we think we can track it, um, as they say, uh, you know, you have 50, 50% of this work is yours to do. So here's a map of Brazil, and you'll see a, a lavender section in the middle there. That is uh, um, the, the province of, of uh, where Brasilia is, where you land. You fly into Brasilia, so it's down in the central area, and it's in the flatlands. And then the next slide shows the relationship between Brasilia and Abajania, which is this little village. And we, it's about 90-minute drive from Brasilia to Abajania, where we... We, we stayed at a hotel. There's many posadas there that people stay with. Uh, stay at the villages full of them and people that are guides. So the next slide, that's the overlook at the casa. So you have this expanse that you can look out at anytime you want to go sit there. You're asked to, to maintain silence there. Uh, the last day I was there, the Saturday I was there, the whole hillside below that caught fire. So all that green that you see burnt. And as it burned, it came up to the, to the casa, the, the, where the buildings are, and as soon as it hit the property lines, it just stopped. And I was sort of, I was getting a little concerned. I thought, what are we going to do? And the people that live there and work there said, oh, don't worry. I said, what do you mean don't worry? The fire's coming. And it was roaring. And they said, oh, the entities will take care of it. And boy, you talk about a test of faith. So I'm, I'm running around on my own being, you know, trying to put the fire out. And as soon as I got there, it just stopped. I thought, wow, isn't that fascinating? So the whole environment is conducive, like I say, with the overlook. Sometimes people will sit in the overlook and hold current. They'll, they'll do their meditation work there. On the next slide, you'll see, uh, this is in uh, Heather Cummings' lobby in her hotel, and she has an article from Oprah. When Oprah went down, she was the interpreter. She's jo John of God's main interpreter. She's, they're they're kind of like brother and sister. She's worked with him now about 14 years. She's uh, his interpreter. She speaks Portuguese, English, 
uh, French and a couple other languages. So she's quite an exquisite. Uh, but that's a little section in her hotel. The bell is what they ring for each meal. And then there's some of her stuff and pictures of John of God and the experience. And, and the, the hotel's full of that kind of thing. The next slide is the first trip I went down, which was with the Denver church, the Mile High Church. They go about every six months. Dr. Roger takes people down. And that's when we leave. So we're going into a session. Everybody dresses in white. You see the lady there on the left who's getting into a wheelchair. She had gone down because she was doing cancer at that time, and she's since made a transition. So it's not something that, you know, there's no guarantee in this. But, you know, a lot of times people reach their, their, they've exhausted some of the Western technologies, and they say, you know, I'm ready for anything. And so she had gone down with her son, and I think there was a lot of healing that took place for those two. Um, the hotel is very basic. I've got a, a slide here of what it shows what it is not. So a lady going into the spots is pamper yourself, and she's coming out. So it's, it's not the spa where you get the pamper. Next slide is going into the casa, which is uh, the grounds where he does this stuff. So they started out, this, this, he and two guys started out in a little shack on the side of the road about 40 years ago, and they shared one coffee cup, and it has since expanded to what they have today. Uh, and so it's quite a beautiful um, environment, and there's all kinds of new things that they have, have, have put together and built. Uh, he takes no money for what he does. He, they sell various things that support the staff there because the staff is paid, and, and they've continued to expand uh, the grounds and, and things that are there. Each day at the end of the morning session, there's blessed soup that is served for anyone that is hungry, that can't afford a meal. Uh, he, has, he serves about 80,000 bowls of soup a year. Um, and so he just, he's in tremendous service to this whole um, environment in a beautiful way. The next slide shows people lined up in the Great Hall. There's different lines you go through and you're announced and, and then you go before him and he'll give you either a prescription or a recommendation. Every time I go now, he says, yeah, yeah, I'm helping you with that and I'll go sit in my current. So typically when I go through the line, I, just, I go back and sit in the current, which is such an amazing experience and I'm quite happy to do that. But this is what it looks like. Everybody's in white. It's quite touching to watch so many people come there that are in, are in such distress physically, looking for the healing. And it's just a beautiful, and children, lots of kids, parents bring in kids. Next slide is a, a picture of the sitting in the current. So this is what it looks like. There's, uh, there's about three rooms where people sit in current. And then this is the main current room where he sits on the, on the, we can't see it, he would be facing this. This would be the view he would have. But people sit there, you're asked to close your eyes, you're asked to love God the way you know God. And for me, I realize that in the West, because we are so linear, because we are so um, particular about what we're gonna buy into, we're, we're not people that just blindly believe anything. And Marcia Sutton's work, I'm going to talk about this next week, but I'm going to touch on it today. She said there are three things that are the enemies of this and why I don't think we create more of this in, in the world. But I think that in this community we can and we will continue to do that work. She said there's unbelief, there's disbelief, and there's misbelief. There's three forms of, of belief that restrict that. And so how do we maintain our integrity um, and not, as, as Kennedy Schultz would say, you know, go off into the the ethers with the love and not keep our feet grounded here as well. How do we balance that? And so there's all this, this intellectual stuff that goes on that can be such a challenge for us. And yet we can make it difficult, but when we start to confront some of these belief systems that we have that limit our experience of the infinite, 
then we open ourselves to what I think is happening in Brazil. Because people come there and there's no one arguing. People, no one is preaching. No one gets up and says, hey, let me talk, tell you about what we're going to do today. You sit down and they say, love God as you, know, as you love God. And so that's not too hard. Even, um, we've taken many people down there and say, I don't meditate. I said, well, don't worry about it. They'll get, you, they'll get you dialed in. And then after sitting there all day long and six hours of meditation, people, I said, how'd that go for you? Well, that was amazing. I didn't think I could last that long. My rear end really hurt and all this on and on and on. But it is quite fascinating to be immersed in that environment of unconditional love that helps support what's happening there. And why isn't that possible here? That is possible here. I think it's the very same energy. We just don't live in it. We come for an hour, we dip into it, we experience it, we go out and we have it, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't, we don't have to go to Brazil to have this experience, but it is possible. So sitting in the current is one of the practices, and someone asked me one time, they said, uh, um, I want to go and be of service. I said, you're in service the whole time you're there. He's using you as a vessel to, to help create this environment that is so conducive to health and vibrancy and to newness. You're in service just showing up. I think we're in service when we're in agreement with these principles, when we sit down daily and do our prayer work. So the next uh, slide shows somebody trying to, to um, meditate, and there's all kinds of ideas. You can't read them. I can't read them either. It says, my leg is getting stiff. I got to get to the store and buy groceries on and on and on when we sit down to try and do meditation. And this is exactly what happens. Uh, this is exactly what happens. One says, I wonder if I'm going to pass out. But this is exactly what happens when you sit in the current. And so you just keep sitting there. Because when we sit down to meditate, many times the, the, the mindset that, that has, keeps us busy and keeps us safe continues for a while. But when you're, there, when you're there for two weeks, it finally slows down. Next slide, please, Kevin. There I am two Sundays ago going to Sunday service. So on a Sunday service when there's no service or no session in Acosta, you can wear a little different color. So I put my pink shirt on there but uh, beautiful interfaith service of, of just singing in the casa. It's quite lovely. And I was there, I got a bottle of blessed water in my hand, and as you can see, my deeply tanned legs there. But I uh, wanted to show you, I was still going to church on Sunday, even when I wasn't here. The next is a picture of the grounds, and to the left in this picture is where the, the uh, crystal bedrooms are. And we have a crystal bed in our practitioner room here as well. Then the next picture is a picture of Heather Cumming, who we stayed with, and and medium John, and she is a lovely, lovely presence. It's so, and I know you can talk to the people that have gone with us, uh, her guidance and insight and awareness, because there's a lot of things that happen there that are really strange and different. And her care and her, her, uh, uh, her wisdom and experience is such a gift to, uh, to experience. I don't think I would go, um, I don't know how anyone goes there without a guide. You need a guide, because you need someone that can speak the language. Uh, and I always, we always feel very, I always feel very blessed to spend the time with Heather and Laura Gwen and, uh, and Monica. They're, they're all, Laura is an amazing unity minister that gave up her church in 2009 to start leading tours down there. So the language and their approach to it and, and how it ties into what we teach metaphysically is such a beautiful fit and I really enjoy that. So the, the practices, Dr. Holmes said, and I put the daily practices up, is how this works. Kevin, you next slide, please. The daily practices, Holmes talks about having a, a meditation practice. 
a meditation practice, to work silently in the law, to look at our belief system and to unravel it, to examine it, to take time to slow down and look what we're telling ourselves, what we're impressing upon this intelligence. Prayer work, to set a new trajectory, to set a new, new momentum in, in, in a certain direction, which helps build a faith which eventually we come to trust. And it takes time. It takes time to establish all those things. It's not a quick fix. Holmes said this in the Science of Mind textbook at the end of this uh, chapter. He said, the one who wishes scientifically to work out their problems must daily, not once a month, but daily. So if you're not doing it daily, you might want to do it daily. Daily, take the time to meditate and to mentally treat the condition, affirmative prayer, no matter what the apparent contradictions may be, to work silently in the law, and the law will find an outlet through our faith in it, to build that faith. This experience in Abhijanya has just has been an incredible journey and, 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 and impact in my life because I realize the, the immediacy of spirit, that we are always, always, always in the smoke of spirit. And I've always sensed that at times in my life, but to be able to go there and look at the things that are, are happening and unfolding in my own life, my prayer this time was to fulfill my mission in this lifetime, whatever that may be, my soul's mission. And I know it's tied in with this movement. I know it's tied in with this community. But I don't want limiting ideas to get in the way of the possibilities of what are seeking expression. And so I don't know what all those are, but I do know that there's work before me today to unravel and to dissolve something that is a limiting belief. And when I'm done with that one, I'll move on to the next one. So it's not as if I'm looking for this to ever be done, but I'm realizing I now have enough practice and awarenesses in my life so that I can be more effective in my own being and that I'm not blocking what is seeking expression. I love that idea. I love that possibility. I saw on the internet the other day that men, now I should have all the men stand up, but I won't. We'll do it next week, guys, so you're warned. But men, 86% of the, the, the causes of heart attacks, 86%, can, you can diminish your risk of heart attack, 86%, that's what I'm trying to say, by eating uh, more uh, vegetables and fruit, by having your waist uh, less than 37 inches, an hour of exercise a day, uh, no smoking, and very limited drinking. So we, next week we'll all stand up, and as I name those things, and you identify with it, you can sit down. Okay, you know what I mean? So you're prepared now. But they, what they said is that most men don't do it. You know why most men don't do it? Because the immediate gratification is much easier to, to overindulge or to do whatever's comfortable and easy. Where in fact, the, 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 the healthy strategies are a long-term strategy that you work towards. And I thought, isn't it interesting? It's the same thing with spirituality. You know, it's like, oh, I got a new affirmation. I went to church and I got a whole new affirmation. And by Monday afternoon, you're back to the old one because that isn't going to work. You know, I've been doing this prayer for a day and a half now and my life hasn't changed. Well, we've had a lifetime of conditioned beliefs at the deep subconscious level. And if we're not willing to be dedicated, if I'm not willing, I can't speak for you, if I'm not willing to be devoted and dedicated to unraveling those and looking at them and choosing anew and also stepping into the mystery of it, because the infinite, as Stephen Hawkins said, that the universe is awaiting our next thought. I mean, he's a scientist. And that's what Holmes talked about. That's what Dr. Ernest Holmes talked about and all the great metaphysical teachers have talked about. Holmes said, there's a, a light, a new light is coming into the world, and we are on the borderland of a new experience. The veil between spirit and matter is very thin. The invisible passes into visibility through our faith in it. 
Years ago, about three years before Dr. Holmes passed away, he was in uh, Whittier Church, and he had a mystical experience. And there's a recording of it, and I have, had, I have a little challenge getting it and playing it for you, but we'll get it. But he had a mystical experience, and his uh, chauffeur at the time was George Bendel. And George Bendel is an author and has uh, left us a lot of Dr. Holmes' work as well. But when they were coming home after the experience, he stopped in his talk, and he just talked about... He's, he's articulated. You hear him on the tape saying, the veil is very thin. And then you could hear him just breathing. And there were some other things said that I don't recall. But what George Bendel said is that, and this is an excerpt from that experience, that George drove him home in silence. And Ernest settled himself in his favorite brown leather chair, thinking quietly. This was a couple years after his wife, uh, Hazel, had passed away. And they were, they were partners. They were, they were uh, partners in this uh, ministry. So he was alone, so Bendel came in with him, he sat, down, sat him down in his chair, said at last he admitted to George that he had experienced the highest degree of illumination he had ever known. Ernest said this, while I was talking, I had the semblance of everything turning into a sort of shimmering light, and I imagined myself, or maybe I was, as those severed from my body, looking down at myself, talking and feeling this thin. I actually had the feeling that I was part of the stars, that I was part of everything, that I was part of the whole movement, the push and the pull of the universe, but with a greater sense of self-awareness, Ernest told him. I thought I had had cosmic consciousness experiences long before, but now I know this truly what it is. There was a complete and total recognition, he said, that there is no death, nothing but eternal life, no sense of any mistake in his past, only an instantaneous recognition of his experience and expression as an individual. But he added, however you say it, this kind of thing is usually misunderstood. And so he told George, he said, you can't tell people about this. George thought maybe you could, and you should. Ernest was pretty sure you couldn't, and you shouldn't. But times have changed. And I think it's okay to have the conversation. So when, you, when people ask me why I go to this John of God experience, for me, it's, a, it's that, that veil gets lifted in a beautiful way. And it's such a joy to sit there and support everyone that's there and everyone I can think of, my children and the people I love in this community. You know, when I went this time, took a picture of the church. I said, listen, we got, we got work to do and I need your help. And he looked me in the eye and I said, we're helping you. I said, I need help, guidance in programs and guidance in my own consciousness and guidance with resources, on and on and on. And why not? Why not? Because if nothing else, it reinforces my consciousness. Maybe it is a complete fantasy I'm having, but it's a lovely fantasy to have, I'm telling you. And I want to live in lovely. I want to live in beauty and grace and abundance and, and, and have an impact, a meaningful impact in this world. The world is full of people that don't, are just unconsciously using this law all the time, and we see it played out all, everywhere we go. And it is possible the only thing that limits this, for me, that fascination is the only thing that limits this experience of the longing that I have is me. And, and, and that's not a problem. It's like, well, great. Then what's there for me to know next? What can I do next? How can I be of service to spirit in this lifetime? How can I, I be an inspiration and an example, first of all, to myself and then to my children? Took my kids' pictures down there too. Everybody that comes to mind, I take their picture. I wanted to share this with you because I think it speaks so beautifully. It's a Mary Oliver uh, po book of poems called Evidence. I'll leave you with this today. But, but thank you for being part of this movement. Thank you for allowing me to share. And thank you for giving me time so I can tie this in with our legacy. What we've lost in our tradition, in my opinion, is to understand the, the, the potency and the power of prayer work. And how, if they're doing this in Abhijanya, what, what is in my limiting belief and consciousness that we are, I'm not more potent in this experience myself? 
And so that's not a problem. It's just a call to lift myself and my awareness and my being up. That I'm not the healer, but I can be an opening for that new experience for someone or for myself. Mary Oliver writes, mysteries, yes. Truly, we live with mysteries too marvelous to be understood. When I read that, I thought of John of God. It's like, I don't understand any of this. This is just the wackiest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Truly, we live with mysterious, mysteries too marvelous to be understood. How grass can be nourishing in the mouths of the lambs. Isn't that great? I mean, think about that. A lamb eats grass and it nourishes him? How rivers and stones are forever in allegiance with gravity while we ourselves dream of rising. How two hands touch and the bonds will never be broken. How people come from delight or the scars of damage to the comfort of a poem. Let me keep my distance away from those who think they have all the answers. God bless them. But when you got all the answers, you're stuck. Let me keep company always with those who say, look, and laugh in astonishment and bow their heads. That's been my experience in Abhijanya. That's been my experience many times here when I watch people's lives get transformed. To just simply laugh in astonishment and look and bow. Thank you. See you next week. Blessings.